not only on the radio, but by all of the books and tracts and literature that comes from Berean Bible Society. What a blessing to have this kind of reading material. And it's a real joy for me to turn over the service to my dear brother and friend, Pastor C.R. Stamp. Lord bless you, brother. Thank you, my dear brother, Gwen Johnson. In this wonderful fellowship, do you know what? It seems to me that it indicates that the members of the body of Christ don't belong apart, really. He's just left us here to be ambassadors and to be witnesses. And soon enough the Lord will come and we shall be caught up together. Wouldn't that be something to meet the Lord in the air? And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I used to wonder why it was that that dear, those dear committees who arranged the programs always gave me the best subjects to speak on. I've come to the conclusion that it's just that after I get the subject and dig into it, I get enthused about it. And I certainly am enthused about what we're going to discuss this afternoon. The baptism with the Spirit and the baptism by the Spirit. I'm very glad that this topic was chosen. It fits right with our general uh, topic. It came to pass, but now. I've heard many people say, and even grace people say, well, we believe in spirit baptism, not in water baptism, but in spirit baptism. But that's vague. That, that's inconclusive. Because they don't distinguish then between the baptism with or in the Spirit and the baptism by which the Spirit baptizes us into Christ. And the Bible makes a very great distinction indeed. I think maybe I can illustrate it best by a true story I'm going to tell you now about uh, Brother Misled and Dr. Shane. The names have obviously been changed to protect the, well, the both of them. <laughs> uh, Brother Misled and Dr. Shame. I received a call one day, say, do you know that Brother Misled is in Chicago? I said, he is. I haven't seen him for years. And uh, I thanked the caller, and immediately I called Brother Misled and said, I didn't call him by that name then, though. I said, can't we have dinner together? You and your wife and my wife and me, the four of us, we haven't seen each other for so long. And he said, well, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm just awfully busy. I have so many speaking dates. I said, well, you eat, don't you? Yes. I said, well, can't we arrange for dinner sometime at your convenience and near where you have to speak? <clears throat> he said, well, I'm sorry, but I just don't know how I can fit it in. So I wasn't going to let him off the hook that easily. I said, well, i tell you what we'll do. Why don't you tell me where you're going to speak and I'll attend the meeting. I'll at least get to see you that way. And my wife. Well, he said, all right. He wasn't just too thrilled about it. But he said, all right, uh, he would do it. And so we went to one of the meetings that he was attending. I thought he was speaking. He wasn't speaking. He was just attending the meeting. And his wife, he and his wife sat in the back row as we entered. They were there waiting for us, and we sat next to them. 
the service was conducted by, or rather the, the teacher was, uh, the president of a Western Bible college, Dr. Shame, I call him. And maybe it should be for shame. <laughs> but uh, we'll call him Dr. Shame. He was going to speak on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he started by saying, now there's only one place or one writer in the Bible who writes about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Who is that? I thought, what in the world is he talking about? But nobody gave him an answer, so I didn't say anything either. Well, he said, all right, there's only one place in the Bible where we read about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Where is that? Well, I thought of several places. But half a dozen people answered Acts 2. And I called out, and Ephesians 5.18. Do you know what he said? As truly as I'm standing here, he said, I'm forgetting, uh, I'm leaving out Ephesians 5.18. Then he said, uh, all right, who wrote Acts 2? Well, half a dozen people answered Luke. Well, then who is the only one in the Bible that speaks about being filled with the Holy Spirit? Half a dozen people said Luke. I said, and Paul. <laughs> but he was ignoring that. He had by now left that out. He was going to leave out Ephesians 5.18. So he began to deal with the subject, but by this time... Mr. or Brother Misled was like this and his wife, and I'm sure they thought that we must go around just breaking up meetings. And really, that's the only experience of that kind I have ever had. But that man asked us a question, and he was misleading his audience. What could I do but give the answer that was correct? And, uh, well, the service was finally over, and Dr. Shame showed us from Acts 2 how we could all be filled with the Holy Spirit. But uh, after the service, I suppose, Brother Misled, uh, his thought was, let's get this guy out of here and fast. <laughs> he said to me, can't we go to the parking lot and sit in the car, then we can visit a little and talk that way. Well, I said, that's fine. So we went out to the parking lot, and uh, we sat in the car, and we had no more than gotten seated, and my friend said, now, Neil, why? Why did you do that? I said, my dear friend, the pastor was conducting an answer, a question and answer session. He asked questions. I just gave him an answer. Did you want only the wrong answers to be given? Didn't you want him to, or do you think he maybe didn't want the right answers to be given? He said, I'm leaving out Ephesians 5.18. Well, he said, is it, is it worth that kind of a commotion? Well, there was no commotion. I just had made two answers, that's all. And then he said this strange thing, which leads us to our topic for today. He said, don't we all believe in the spirit baptism of 1 Corinthians 12, 13? And isn't that the important one? I said, it is indeed important. But it is exactly opposite the baptism that he talked about from Acts 2 when he talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'll tell you from now on what I said to him, but I'll be saying it to you. I asked him first, who was the baptizer in Acts 2? 
Well, he thought a minute. He said, I, I suppose I'd have to say Christ was. I said, that's right. John said, I baptize you with water, but one is coming after me. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, Mark 1, 8. And the Lord Jesus himself said in Acts 1, 5, you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence, and he was quoting John's statement when he said that, referring again to himself. So it was Christ at Pentecost. Now please get this straight, and it'll help you a great deal. It was Christ at Pentecost who baptized the believers with or in or into the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit took complete control of them. They did everything right and nothing wrong. Be a Berean. Search the scriptures and see whether you can find a blunder, a mistake, or a sin in those earliest chapters of Acts. Then I asked my friend, now who was the baptizer, or who is the baptizer, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13? Well, he quoted it to himself. He said, uh, well, the Holy Spirit. I said, that's right. And now into whom or into what did the Holy Spirit baptize us, or does he baptize us? Well, he quoted, by one spirit we're all baptized into one body. I said, whose body? Well, the body of Christ. I said, so then Romans 6, 3 is correct when it says, that we're baptized into Christ. We believers today are put into Christ, as it were, made one with him, just as surely as they were baptized in the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We are baptized into Christ today. That is a wonderful passage in Romans 6, 3. I don't think I'll ever get over the wonder of that. Know ye not, he says, don't you know it's a word of reproof you ought to know, and yet the great mass in the church don't yet know it. Don't you know that as many of us have been baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death. It's when I go to Calvary. Calvary's always the meeting place. You've heard me say this before, no doubt, and I'll say it a hundred times again. It's when we go to Calvary and say, that's not his death, he's dying he had no death to die. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth it shall die. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. By one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, because all have sinned. Now, he didn't sin. So whose death is he dying? Not his own. He's dying mine. And when I see that, and accept it, and believe it, then... I become one with him because it is, not, it is not ethereal or mystical. It was my death he died. It was my death, my sin that he paid for. And so I actually become one with him as the Holy Spirit baptizes me into Christ and as we read from 1 Corinthians 12, 13, into his body. Isn't that wonderful, beloved, to be baptized into one body Oh, how many members of that body are right here this afternoon. And we are one not because of anything we have done, any more than the people at Pentecost were baptized in the Holy Spirit because of anything they had done. 
the great mistake of Pentecostalism. If there are any Pentecostalists here, bless your heart. I don't mean to be unkind or anything of that nature. I just mean to say what this book says. It was not because they had prayed long enough. It was not because they were, they were sincere enough or spiritual enough. The Lord didn't say, go to Jerusalem and pray for the Holy Spirit. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And when that actual day, when that particular day had arrived, the Holy Spirit came and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So I tried to show, dear brother misled, the difference between the baptism into the Spirit or with this whatever preposition you want to use. It makes no difference. You know what happened there. The baptism into the Spirit at Pentecost or the baptism into Christ and his body. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ as Christ baptized them in the Holy Spirit. And that's a wonderful thing. Because you remember the Pentecostal program broke down. They had had all things common, but before, and nobody lacked. But before it was all over, they did lack. And they had to go up to the Gentiles in the end of Acts 11 and say, please help us, there's going to be a worldwide famine, and we are broke. We're in real trouble here because we've given all our money into a central fund, and now it hasn't worked out. And the Gentiles, not equally, but every man according to his ability, determined to send relief to the saints at Jerusalem. So there's a tremendous difference. <clears throat> Christ was the baptizer at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is the baptizer now. Christ baptized them into the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ and into his body. By this time, Mr. or Brother Misled was in a hurry again. He said, you must forgive me, but I'm going to have to go because I have so many engagements and so many people I want to see. I said, oh, brother, stay around just a little while, won't you? Because I have some really important questions. You asked me a big question, why? Now I'm telling you why. So he stayed a little longer, and I asked him, have you ever been filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, he said, I, that wouldn't be for me to say. I said, I think you could say it, though. Has there been any time in your life ever when you were completely under the control of the Holy Spirit so that you couldn't do anything wrong? He said, no, I, I guess I'd have to say no. I said, well, that certainly is true of, of Paul's uh, converts. Look at his churches. At Jerusalem it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But now go to Paul's churches. Were the Corinthians all filled with the Holy Spirit? They lied. They cheated. They took each other to court. They were puffed up. They uh, had a party spirit championing one speaker against another and one leader against another. Oh, there was so much. There were gross immorality among them. They were not all filled with the Holy Spirit. What about the Galatians? Were they all filled with the Holy Spirit? <coughs> Why, certainly not. The Galatians wanted to go back under the law. They desired to be under the law again. Think of that. 
when the Lord had shed his blood to deliver them from the law, to save them from the curse of the law, they wanted to go back under the law again. And it didn't help their, their behavior at all because Paul said, you bite and devour one another. They were not all filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can go through all of the churches that Paul founded and it is easy to tell about any one of them that they were not all filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's a great difference. You have the second to the fourth chapters of Acts and they were so under the control of the Holy Spirit that none of them said anything was his own, but they had all things common. Five thousand men alone beside women and children, and they were all of one heart and of one soul, and they all lived spontaneously for one another. I ask in, I guess, the first volume of our set on Acts, have you ever seen any audience of 5,000 Christians, all of one heart and of one soul? 500? 50? 5? I'm not going to go any lower because it <laughs> might affect families here. No, you haven't. When did this start? It started when the Pentecostal program passed off the scene. You see the change already in Acts 15. Paul goes to Jerusalem, what for? To settle a problem. And when he gets there, what happens? There are the Pharisees which believe, and there were those unawares brought in to spy out their liberty. And Paul says, we didn't give place to the, by subjection to them, no, not for an hour. There were undercurrents of feeling, and there was discussion and much debate among them. That's more like the conferences we've had since then, isn't it, Brother Wynn? You know a little about that. He has gray hair, and so have I, and we know. Well, you see not one person here, forgive me if you think you have, but not one person here has ever been filled with the Holy Spirit. You may have experienced the blessing of the Holy Spirit, the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit's insight into the Word when you needed answers for some spiritual adversary. You may have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, but you never, never have been filled or completely controlled by the Holy Spirit. But this brother said to me, by that time he said, well, you mean then that we can't be filled with the Holy Spirit? What about Ephesians 5.18? You, you called that out from the service. You said, and Ephesians 5.18. I, I don't even need to ask you to turn to this. You can. You have your Bibles. But what does Acts 2.4 say, actually? It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All of them. Impetuous Peter, John, uh, uh, quiet Andrew, doubting or careful, cautious Thomas, one more spiritual than the other, surely, one more uh, earnest than the other, one more prayerful, one, the conduct of one would not be exactly equal to that of the other, yet they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? 
because the day of Pentecost had fully come. That's why. And the promise was fulfilled. Now look at Acts 5 and the 18th verse. This is very different. Acts 5, 18. <clears throat> here he said, here uh, Paul says, uh, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I said to dear brother misled, that's where Dr. Shame misled you. He didn't tell you about any distinction. He said, I'm leaving out Ephesians 5.18. He should have showed you the distinction. This is not a statement that we are all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a standard to which to attain by grace through faith. This is something that we should want to be and seek to be and pray to be, but never fully are. There are four things. I don't know if I can remember them all. One is, be filled with all goodness. Another, be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Colossians 1.9, be filled with the knowledge of his will. Anybody here filled with any of those? Don't raise your hand. It might be embarrassing. None of us are filled with all. Yet Paul says, be filled with them. We should want to be filled with his word and his word rightly divided. We should want to be filled with the knowledge of his will. We should want to be filled with all goodness, but we're not, not yet. Someday we're going to be. Someday we'll be filled with the Holy Spirit too. Now then, let's look please at Galatians and chapter 5. Galatians 5. I'm very fortunate. That clock is out of order. It doesn't, it's not right. And my watch is so small I can't see it anyway. So, uh, don't worry, Brother Wynn, I'll be careful. All right, Galatians 5 and the 16th verse. Now, this is the verse before. Look at verse 15. If ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This is Paul to the Galatians. Now, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Isn't that simple? And isn't it true that in the measure that we walk in the Spirit, in the measure that we obey this precept, we do not fulfill the desires of the flesh? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit, somebody may ask? Well, I'm a very simple man. I, I really mean that. I, I write laboriously. I think laboriously. I'm slow on my feet. I'm never fast with a quip. But sometimes that's a help. Sometimes that's a blessing. Because if you're slow and you can get it, that helps the rest to get what you're saying, you see. But it seems to me that this is very simple. Walk in the Spirit. Now, you know, walk has to do with conduct. Go through your life. How? In the Spirit. And then I think, well, we're supposed to pray in the Spirit, aren't we? And the Word of God was written by the Spirit. It seems to me that the way to walk in the Spirit is not just to try to feel spiritual. We had a woman come into our church one time, and she said, oh, she was a Christian scientist, and she said, oh, you know, 
every time I come into this building, it just makes me feel so spiritual. You can tell she didn't know what spirituality was. But if you spend more time on your knees in prayer to God, if you spend more time with that blessed book open in your lap, prayerfully studying it, that's walking in the Spirit. And that word he says in the same uh, number in Ephesians, Ephesians number of the chapter, Ephesians 5, he says that it's like the washing of water by the word. A woman said one time, well, I can't remember these things. I wish I could. My mind is like a sieve. So it just runs through it. Ah, but the water cleans the sieve, doesn't it? And the Bible has such a cleansing effect upon us. And beloved, there is the secret. We are not yet automatically taken control of by the Holy Spirit. Someday we will. The Lord is going to come for us, and that's going to be like our Pentecost. All of a sudden, never again will we have a temptation to sin. Never again will we stumble. What a day of rejoicing that will be. But now, Paul says, for the present we wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. But first, let's go on with this here. He says, walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5, 16, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against his all his desires, all his will is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. How this is misunderstood. People have taken this to be sort of a, well, you know, they lie down on a soft, downy bed with a nice feather pillow, and over the bed they have a, a motto that says, He knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. And uh, another that says, The flesh is weak. And another one says, You cannot do the things that you would. And so he doesn't fight against sin. He doesn't quarrel against it. He doesn't try to overcome it. He's, well, we can't help it, you know. That's not what this means. It means that we are not yet taken control of by the Holy Spirit. We wish, don't we, that we were free from sin? But how many of us are free from sin? We cannot yet do all that we would want to do. Why? Because God won't let us? No. Because our natures are so terribly depraved. We are still by nature the children of Adam. And Paul says, in me, that is in my flesh, there is no good, no good in my flesh. Now then, let's finish this little passage. Verse 18. But if ye be, what's that next word? Everybody say it loud. Led. led. If ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under law. Do you see the difference? Before the dispensation of grace, the law held sway. It was obey or die. That was the law. It dominated. After we are gone, righteousness and justice will dominate in the kingdom. Christ will reign and he'll rule with a rod of iron. But between the two, we have this present evil age when God in his infinite grace saved the Apostle Paul, saved Saul of Tarsus, 
his hands dripping with blood of, of martyrs, his fists clenched against believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God saved him and sent him forth with the message of which he himself was the living embodiment, the wonderful grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he doesn't say, you have to do this, or he doesn't control us and cause us to do this. No, he says, I want you as full-grown sons. I've given you the adoption, the huios, the placing as full-grown sons. And I want you, by the grace that I'm ready to give at any time, the grace I've already given you, and the Holy Spirit that is within you, I want you to walk in the Spirit, and then you won't be under the law, and you won't need to be under the law. Well, I better look a little closer at this watch. It's nearly time. But finally, about our baptism into Christ and into his body. Do you see how important this is in this present evil age? The Holy Spirit does not take automatic and supernatural control of us to cause us to do right. How can God then accept us? Saved, yes. Christ died for us, yes. But here, after we know he's died for us, we still go on sinning, doing the things for which we know he hung there in agony and shame. How ashamed we should be. But he knew that we are living in an evil age. He calls it that in Galatians 1.4. He knew that he's just leaving us here as sinners among sinners, saved sinners among unsaved sinners, to try to show them the way of salvation by grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, if you look, please, at 1 Corinthians 12.13, I think you'll get the feel of it. 1 Corinthians 12.13. For by one spirit. Now, I just want to say something about a word there. Some have tried to get around that by saying, well, the word by there is the Greek en, in which generally, not always by any means, but generally means in, to be or abide within. But it doesn't always mean that. We have it also in 1 Corinthians 6 and the 11th verse. Uh, 6 and 11, it says, and such were some of you. You are wicked people, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by, it's the same word, by the Spirit of our God. It was he that made you uh, clean in Christ. Now then, here he says, for by one Spirit are we, and here that all comes again, we all, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, we are not, but we are all baptized into one body, and that body, the body of Christ. We are all baptized into Christ, so that now as God sees us, he sees us in his beloved Son. When I read that in, what is it, Colossians 1.10, we're translated into the kingdom of his dear Son, or the Son of his love. It, it makes me think of that time back at, our Lord's baptism with water, and how God broke through the heavens. There, people were coming to be baptized, and my 
One of my friends, one of my preacher friends says, Oh, when they come to my baptisms, they're always so happy. They say, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And I say, But that's not the way it was at Pentecost. That's not the way it was when John baptized. It says they came confessing their sins. They came to a baptism of repentance. And many faces were pale. Many hands were shaking at that time as they confessed their sins. That's the way they had to come. Ah, but thank God, we are baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And all of us, we're all baptized into one body, pardon me, and all baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn, please, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is, as in italics, could be there is. Anyway, there's a new creation. If any man be in Christ, there's a new creation. Old things, that old program, old things have passed away. Some people say that means the old nature and the old things that the man did, not necessarily. Not necessarily the many things that you and I still do that we did before we were saved too, and we never got rid of them, did we? We wanted to, but we're still doing many of them. Ah, no, it's the program. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new, and all things in this program are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us that wonderful ministry, that wonderful message of which Brother Johnson spoke this morning, given to us the ministry of reconciliation we can go to men and say God doesn't hold anything against you you say you've committed such sins they rise as a mountain before you God's not holding them against you he's reconciled the whole world to himself and now he says to you be ye reconciled you be reconciled to me oh I hope that if there's any unsaved person here this afternoon that you will take this oh so seriously we do. We want you to be saved, and you can be saved. You should be saved this very afternoon. We have a sign on the side of the Berean Bible Society, God loves you. Christ died for you. There was a Scotchman years ago, an old man. He didn't know much, but he knew he was saved. And he'd go into town with tears in his eyes, and he'd say to people, Don't you know? Don't you know God loves you? Don't you know Christ died for you. And that, my dear unsaved friend, is what I say to you this afternoon. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, with all your sins, come to him. Don't try to reform first. Don't try to put them away and come to him like a good man. Then you won't need to be saved. Come to him with all your sins, and he will, by the Holy Spirit, baptize you into Christ. You will be made one with Christ this afternoon so that God will see you not standing on your own two feet. Some people are so proud, I'll stand on my own two feet. Oh, no, you won't. Oh, you won't stand at all. But if you'll take Christ as your Savior, you'll have a position before God in him. What a precious thing. 
Well, we talked about all this and more with my dear friend, Ms. Led. You know what he said after it's over? He said, well, in your writings too, you bring out such interesting things, but sometimes I wonder, is it worth it? I'd like to ask you, my friends, is it worth it? Is it worth it to you to see the difference between the baptism with the Spirit at Pentecost and the baptism by the Spirit into Christ and his body? Is it worth it to you to see that you don't have to cry and moan and feel all discouraged because you haven't received the baptism with the Spirit? Uh, it, does it make a difference to you that you can know that you can be baptized into Christ or have been and have a position before God in Christ who broke through the heavens as all those sinners came to be baptized and then Christ too? And John says, you come to be baptized of me, I have need to be baptized of thee. And the Lord said, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John baptized him, and then God had something to say. God wasn't going to let the people go away thinking his son was a sinner, thinking, oh, he, he looked like such a fine young man, but still water runs deep. Oh, no. He broke through the heavens and said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And do you know, my dear friend, that's what he says about you if you are in Christ this afternoon. He says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Thank you, Brother Wynn.